0: the weekly message from Angel of Joy Lutheran Church, an ELCA congregation located in Lefton Texas. Pastor Paul Guy and the family of Angel of Joy invite you to join us for worship at 10.15am on Sunday mornings. If you should find yourself in our neighborhood, please enjoy this message and visit our website at angelofjoy.org Dear friends, in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As you know, I was not standing in the pulpit last Sunday. I got a, a really wonderful chance to take a break and have a vacation of sorts. And, and you were here. And I must say that over the years I've discovered that whenever I've done that and someone else has preached... I come back and people tell me about it and sometimes in great detail, the message they got like, oh, you, you would have been so amazed and I learned so much and, uh, and that's good. The only thing is pastors sometimes, unless they have a really big ego, they think, gosh, I hope they don't like that person better than they do me or they're sorry I came back and, and I, I happened to, called my sister and asked her if they missed me and she said well I don't know about anyone else but I did <laughs> but no it, it's good to find out and so I thought I would start what I had to say today by uh, in response to to one of the things that were and you can stop me right dead in my tracks if if you've heard this But uh, the chaplain that was here explained about the readings, how they tie in with each other. We start off with the Old Testament reading. Then we do the psalm together and we hear the epistle, which is often called the New Testament lesson, and then the gospel. These pericopes, as they're called, the set of lessons are chosen from the Revised Common Lectionary that's been set for a particular day or sometimes a unique service, a special service. And like I said, they're comprised of the Old Testament lesson, a psalm, an epistle, and of which many are written by St. Paul, such as today's lesson, the second reading, or second letter, I should say, to Timothy, and the Gospel reading. And although they are often selected to relate to each other, that was not the way they were written. It didn't come off the press that way. The book of Habakkuk, which we heard this morning, is the eighth book of the twelve minor prophets of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, and it's attributed to the prophet Habakkuk and was probably comprised in the late seventh century B.C., which means 700 years, well, probably... More A little over 600 years before the birth of Jesus. That's a long time ago. Many of the Psalms were written by King David, a few by Solomon, and others we just don't know. The orchestra leader, different people. There are quite a few of them, of course. But King David lived approximately from 1037 B.C. to 967 B.C., So basically, that was about 260 years before the Old Testament reading from the prophet Habakkuk. St. Luke wrote his gospel prior to 62 AD. Now, if you remember, Jesus was crucified when he was about 33. So this is double that time, about 30. years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And St. Paul's second letter to Timothy was ostensibly written during his last imprisonment shortly before he was executed. And this occurred about 67 AD, which was about five years after the Gospel of Luke. So you've got a huge spread there of around almost 1,100 years and they were written independent of each other but then we have the biblical scholars and the the liturgical experts that within the context of the catholic church first of all catholic worship and then later from the time of martin luther protestant worship decided it was really important to to put all of those things together the old testament the psalm the epistle and the gospel so it's contrived but that's okay because the word of god is timeless in itself and these lessons that we have today relate to each other coincidentally not intentionally but that's how the epistle, the pericopes work and it emphasizes, it magnifies the message that comes to us through the gospel, the word of God. For a number of oh, several hundreds of years, certainly the first 200 years of Christianity, They had a worship service that slowly evolved coalesced into a certain form. But the one ingredient that was missing from today was the sermon. They didn't really do the sermons. They read the lessons from what they had. They sang psalms. They sang them. They sang other hymns. They prayed a lot. They communed and they baptized. Those were the main ingredients. So today you get the extra benefit of the later years of Christianity where you get the pastor's sermon to boot at no extra charge. There you go. Well, in any case, the, the first lesson we heard about was written um, pretty much at the time when the Babylonian Empire had reached its peak. They were expanding just like the Roman Empire did later on. And they were taking over countries. And the the country of Israel was no longer one of the premier countries in the world. And they could see the, the danger that was approaching. They were scared. They were pessimistic that they would survive. They'd seen what happened to other countries, other empires. They knew that once Babylon entered their boundaries, their borders, their goose was cooked. And that's what we hear from Habakkuk. He's trying to get their, their confidence in God, their faith in God, hyped up. He was trying to reaffirm their relationship with God in the hearts and minds of the people. But they were scared. The Psalm, well, that's a little bit more difficult because we can't date it exactly when the, the, uh, the Psalm we heard today was written. But if it was David, remember, so many of his songs or Psalms were written while he was on the run. See, Saul, the first king of Israel, was out to, to protect his rule. And he saw David as a threat. And so the armies of Saul were going after the, the smaller ragtag army of David. And David was living pretty much from day to day and scared, but putting his trust, his faith in God, that God would ultimately protect him and perhaps lead him to victory as well. St. Paul was at the end of the line. He was pessimistic about his chances of survival this time around. He had been in prison before, but this time it seemed like there was no way out. And, of course, that's what came to be. But again, he was reaffirming to Timothy the relationship that he had with God and his confidence that come what may, God would be with him. He would be blessed. The gospel reading for this morning was a little bit different. It starts off with the apostles saying to, to Jesus, increase our faith. And then remember there are several gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John being much later than the first three, the synoptic gospels. And we heard the, the parable of the mustard seed before where Jesus said that that seed, that mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, well, pretty close to it, could grow up into a big tree that would provide a home for all manner of birds, from the newborn to the wise old owls. Just a tiny mustard seed of faith could accomplish miracles. You were I'm not sure if all of you got a mustard seed. How many of you got a mustard seed when you came in this morning? What did you do it? Do you still have it? Good. You can plant it. I don't know if that'll grow. It's been the, I've collected them for a while, but um, but they're small, and the message is just as clear for us as it was for the disciples of Jesus. You don't need much to accomplish great things. How many of you have the best faith that you can imagine? You don't need any more faith. It's as big as it's going to get. Raise your hands if you're really confident in the faith that you have. No, Jeff, not even you? The man with the magic fingers is just as uncomfortable. Well, my hand didn't go up either because I'm not comfortable with the faith that I'd I have, as opposed to the faith I love to have, that God is going to do right. And by right, I mean that God is going to do what I want God to do. We've all prayed for things that were desperate, things that were noble. We pray for peace. We pray for healing. We pray for overcoming difficulties in our relationships. And it doesn't always come true the way we want it to. Yeah. Maybe the reason is my faith wasn't strong enough. Now there's an interesting thing in the Bible. Martin Luther affirms it too. Is that faith is not something that you get for yourself. And then work on and it gets stronger and stronger. Faith biblically speaking, is a gift of God, a gift of the Holy Spirit. The faith that you have is what's been given to you. We can nurture it. I mentioned that you could plant the seeds, and I don't know if those will grow, but other seeds that you can buy at Walmart today, if you want, will grow if it's properly nurtured. You know, you put it in proper soil with the proper nutrients, give it water, give it sunlight, not too much, not too little, you take care of it and it'll grow. And faith is kind of like that too. We've all heard of people that feel that they have a good enough relationship with God all by themselves. They don't need to go to church. Don't need to receive communion. Don't have to be baptized. Don't have to do this or that or the other thing. It's all going to be fine. We've all also heard of people that have said... Yeah, I believe in God. Or I believe in Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. He died on the cross. He rose on Easter. And then he went away. But I don't think that's the same thing as faith. That's more belief. I believe this, but do I put my life on the line on this belief? That's what faith is. Faith is trusting that God will do right by you because God loves you, and because God owns you. You belong to God, in other words. If you believe that, it changes. It's, it's not something that's just here. It's in your hands. It's in your heart. It's in your words. It's in everything about you. This thing called faith. It's how your belief plays out in your lifetime. Yesterday, I don't know if any of you were there with me, I didn't see you, but I went to the, the uh, biannual, is it biannual, semi-annual, I always get those mixed up, the the SFA plant sale up in Nacogdoches. Any of you ever been there? Yeah. Any of you there yesterday? Okay, good. Then I didn't accidentally snub anybody. Well, I've done this a few times before, and I know how it goes. You write down the specific plants that you're interested in. You look it up online, the the listing of the plants they're planning to sell. Then you go there a bit early so you can, if hopefully, can go and check out where the plants are and which ones you want to grab for yourself. But then they put everyone beyond a certain point, and you have to wait. And then at 9 o'clock... The gun goes off, so to speak, and you and about a hundred or more others dash off to grab your intended purchase. There are some that are naturally more appealing as to the, the bigger crowd. If you want a Japanese maple, you might be trampled on getting there. Now, most of the plants or the saplings, of course, are pretty small. And if you're like me, you do your homework and you look up on the internet what the botanical specimen will look like after it's grown for a few weeks or months, because what you get is pretty young there, smaller plants and trees. Well, some will grow faster than others, it's true, and some will sadly wither and die before their time. That's happened to me too, unfortunately. But we live by hope. Now, Christians especially Lutherans, I think. Well, I can say that because I've done a lot of study as a Lutheran. I went through a Lutheran seminary, Lutheran college before that. And I've come across that word a lot, that word faith. Like I said, faith implies having trust in God. It's where the rubber meets the road. When Martin Luther was a young monk in a monastery, he struggled hard to trust in God. He believed in God. Oh, he believed in God, absolutely. But he was mostly worried to death that God was not going to be satisfied with what he did. That he wasn't going to measure up. He wasn't going to do good enough. And that God would get him in the end. You know, if you don't measure up, if you're not living your life like Mother Teresa, well, you're going to find out that Your future is pretty warm. That's what Martin Luther was having to deal with. He was scared to death of God, and his fear of God led him to be angry with God, even to the point where he said he hated God. He hated the prospect of judgment, in other words. But ultimately, reading the Bible, and he was a professor. He taught students in the university about the Bible, One day he read something that turned the light on right over his head. Aha! That aha theological moment for him was reading the book of Romans, actually. What we're going to be reading or studying in the, the church here. The righteous, the ones that are on good terms with God, are justified. In other words, they're judged by grace through faith in other words god's grace is the overriding attitude the judge up there is smiling because he knows he's getting you off the hook you're going to be set free most of the time most of the time you're going to be set free because he cares about you and he's given you the means of of procuring that not guilty verdict It's more clemency than not guilty, but, you know, analogies only go so far. And the thing about it is that God worked through Scripture to tell Martin Luther, who wrote it all down and passed it on to others, filtered all the way down to 2013 to this nice church in East Texas, where we hear what we've craved to know all along. that you don't have to have a huge faith. You have to have more than belief. You know, I can say there are asteroids floating around in the universe, but that doesn't affect my life. Faith is what really has to do with who we are. But our faith is what gives us access to God's not guilty verdict. And it's more than not guilty, where, because the judge just normally says, okay, hits the gavel hits the, the pulpit or whatever. the What is it that the judge has? He's sitting up there at a desk. And, and the case is over, and everyone leaves. But in God's case, he's saying judgment has been passed. Jesus did it for you, and all you have to do is accept it, and it's not... Okay, now scram, it's rather welcome home forever. Mustard seed. You got the seed that you've got. I've I've planted uh, avocado seeds before, and they're a lot bigger. But in the end, you get a plant. And with faith, you get salvation. Well, I, I was under advisement that I was supposed to preach short today. And I think I blew it. Nothing new there, is it? (laughs) But that's it. I want you to know it doesn't matter how small you think your faith is. Been given what you've got. But the thing is, cherish it because, in God's eyes, it's enough. The big thing isn't what you've got in your hand or in your heart or in your head, it's what God has. And all that God really wants is to have you and to love you today, this very morning, and forever. That's a good promise, and it's a good way to start this new week. And I wish you all a wonderful, blessed week of a growing faith. But whatever you've got, it's enough. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please provide feedback on the iTunes podcast page and visit our website at angeljoy.org for more information.